The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony Utah Opera's Ghost Light podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. Be sure, please, to go on Spotify and iTunes and subscribe and like and rate us. We want to get as many fans as possible this season. So we have with us today Daniel Sharon, who is the artistic director of Ryrie Woodbury Dance Company. He's been involved in several productions with the Utah Opera, and we're thrilled to have him join us in this podcast today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking. Great to have you. So um, Salt Lake City has a surprisingly rich dance tradition, doesn't it? Were you pleased to find such a robust environment when you first came here in 2013? I was... um I was surprised, and I was really pleasantly surprised, and I, I continue, continue to marvel at um, the amount of dance that's found here. Um, the, the Both that there's a lot of companies in town, uh, between Repertory Dance Theater and Ballet West, and a lot of independent organizations trying to do dance. The university scene with, the, I think it's five universities or four or five so universities many, yes. yeah. that offer uh, degrees or, or uh, minors in dance. Right. And... Um, and the schools, that was the one thing, was the schools, the high schools and elementary schools and how um, I think all of the high schools have a dance teacher or dance curriculum of some kind. It's and really in, part of the culture. Yeah, it's amazing. And in all my travels and, and everywhere I've been, I've never really come across that. And so it's really quite remarkable, actually. I think it's interesting when I think about dance and I think about dance as a performance art form and the fact that when I read your bio or the bios of anybody that's in this world it's often talking about collaborations with with galleries and opera companies or symphonies and other 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 art forms and it seems to me that there's something sort of naturally collaborative about dance maybe because it's portable maybe because everybody carries their work with them I mean what do you think makes your work so naturally flexible in this way I mean we want to bring dance to the people and we want dance to be out there and the more flexible we can be um, the more we can actually get out there right and so i think what you said with the collaborations with local arts organizations that that's an excellent way to do it because we invite each other's audiences to see the work that we're doing and as a small company of six dancers one artistic director and one technical director that's what we tour with there's eight of us that go on tour and so we're, uh, we're able to offer presenters very flexible ways of presenting what we do. And so we can be in theaters like the Capitol Theater, that's a huge theater with tons of technical equipment and, and over a thousand seats, and we can be in small um, theaters in rural Utah and, and be able to present dance to them. And, and for those communities, it's such a great opportunity to bring the arts to them because often um, they don't get that opportunity. And so I think that's a really important part of, of the mission of Ryrie Woodbury. I've seen it firsthand. You remember, Daniel, in a previous life, I worked at Utah State University and I we do. presented you and the eight of you showed up in a clown car and just burst <laughs> exactly. onto the scene and did yeah. incredible work. Speaking of collaborations, I um, I want to mention that as we record, Utah Opera is in the middle of its Traviata run. How did this How did this partnership come about? And I'm curious what the specific challenges and rewards of working with an opera company are. Well, I remember when I first got here um, in the city and started this position, um, meeting a lot of different um, arts people and especially artistic directors and having lunch with Adam Sklute, who's the director of Ballet West, West right. and, and having Christopher Macbeth on that list of people that I wanted to get to know and, and He's, meet. of course, the opera artistic director. Right. Correct. Yep. I remember having lunch with him, and it was really a conversation, I think, of A, getting to know each other and see if there was a possibility to do something in the future. And I remember him saying to me, do you know of any choreographers that 
you think might be a really good fit for the Utah Opera and, and cho- uh, choreographing on the opera. And I was like, well, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to be sitting right <laughs> <Yes>. in front <laughs> of you. <laughs> I, I would love to be, um, I would be very interested in doing something like that. In my history, I've danced in a lot of opera. Mm-hmm. And before that point, I never really had the opportunity to choreograph for an opera. And it sounded like with Christopher, too, to the opportunity to find some uh, a local collaborator to be able to do that was something that was very appealing to him. And so that's where that first project, The Pearl Fishers, right. that's where the first project came from. Um, in terms of challenges and, and rewards. rewards, I mean, what I, I love doing about opera, I love coming and um, being a part of a, a greater vision and to come in and, and really know what my role is mm-hmm. and really know the things that I'm trying to accomplish, you know, be it a scene or a particular dance to help the storyline or the storytelling move along. I really enjoy that and working with the director and the director saying, hey, here's this part of the score. I'm looking for this kind of thing. All the directors I've worked with have been very open to my feedback and my ideas as well. But it's so nice to kind of fall into somebody else's vision like sure. that and help try to realize this broad scale production. Yeah. And so for me, that's very exciting. Again, I often work with the six company dancers and it's the seven of us in a room together. And so coming to the opera and the scale of that where, you know, just the scale of the 60 people on stage performing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Or even the idea of, you know, we come into a production meeting and suddenly there's three stage managers. There's (laughs) like a choral director. There's the the maestro. There's like this list of people. The production team's bigger than your company. Exactly. Twice (laughs) as big, if if not. But yeah, I mean, so those kind of things are amazing. I, I just, it's such a different world. I mean, opera is, one of the things that drew me to opera is the synthesis of all these arts, visual, Mm -hmm. dance. I love when we have dance. It just adds so much to what we've done. Uh, So Pearl Fishers was the first collaboration. Then we Mm -hmm. did Moby Dick. Uh, Aida, Moby I forgot Dick. it. And Aida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Aida was with Garnet Bruce, who Correct. was the director of this production of yeah, La Traviata yeah. as well. Uh, so this is the first time, however, in these four collaborations that we've actually used your company dancers. Mm-hmm. So as director of these dancers, having to work with another director, have you had any challenges or interesting experiences trying to connect those together? Could be the use of our dancers in the production? The, yes, that we're actually using the Ryrie Woodbury dancers for the first time. I mean, I think what it does is it elevates the experience and it elevates what we're able to do. So rather than coming in, and the opera world moves very quickly. And so often I come into the rehearsal and it's like, okay, here's your two hours to do this scene and you need to accomplish it in this time. With dancers you may not know. We, so yeah, yeah, often with freelance dancers right. um, that I don't work with regularly. Right. And um, that's a different kind of pressure and so what I was able to to do this time is we actually started rehearsals in August wow and we were able to use time in our own studio um, to to explore a little bit more than I'm I'm typically used to and what that does is because uh, the dancers know me and I know them so well it really becomes a collaborative effort and I'm able to look to them to help problem-solve they have ideas that I don't have and so together I feel we really um, um, created what we were able to do for La Traviata so it it really, I think, elevates what we're able to do. And you integrated some of our principal artists, mm-hmm. our singer artists, Correct. in the dances. And that's been fun to watch. They've all been quite game for it, haven't they? Yes. And I love especially the relationship that has grown up between the dancers and our Violetta, Anya Matanovic. Yeah, I know. I mean, I dance with Doug Verone in New York, and Doug Verone has done a lot of operas. And, and basically, when I've performed in operas, it's been under his direction. Mm -hmm. And so I learned a lot from him. And he always um, wanted to kind of ask the hardest questions and not settle for anything. 
not say, oh, they're singers, they can't move, but let's see what they can do and let's see what's possible. And actually, I danced with um, Maestro, Stephen White's wife, Elizabeth Futral, in an opera. No kidding. And so, wonderful soprano. Yeah, yeah. so it, it probably some, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, I worked in an opera that Doug choreographed that she was featured in. Oh, wow. And the so, opera world is about the size of a dime. Yeah, if exactly. anyone ever wondered. Yeah, really I saw is. Stephen that first day, and we were like, I know, I know. <laughs> but he, she was such game, and I learned through that experience of like, let's ask them. Let's see what they're getting right, for. Right, don't let's underestimate. See what, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think what it does is it just really, um, it feels more integrated. It feels more organic, that it's not a separation of dance and, and the singers, but it's really an integration that makes the world of the opera um, feel more complete and feel mo- more whole. I suspect, Daniel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but one of the things that probably was exciting about having your dancers do this collaboration was that it's a rare opportunity, especially for a modern company to dance with live music. That doesn't happen a lot these days, does it? Especially in American smaller companies. Not live music like the opera does. Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, what is it like a, a 40 piece orchestra? Uh, with, 50 probably. Yeah. Yeah. With like 30 yeah. chorus members. Mm. Right. So I would say probably the majority of what we do is to recorded music. Mm-hmm. When it like, for instance, in my tenure, we, we, we have done, um, work with live music, but it's things like we've worked with the Salt Lake Electric Ensemble. It's a group of about seven artists, oh, 12 wow. artists who use laptops as their primary instruments. We've worked with a composer named Michael Wall who's played live for us. Again, it's usually, usually some sort of synthesized um, in the electronic, electronic realm. realm. Yeah. They yeah. actually all do use acoustic things, but that's more the realm of what we do. We've worked with a DJ before, but in terms of an, an acoustic orchestra, led by a, comp- uh, a, a conductor mm-hmm. and the way that that's done, very different. Yeah. And so I remember because we, you know, we worked with a recording and then actually Carol played some tempos for us. We came in and she was able mm-hmm. to record some tempos on piano for us. But I remember the, when the sits probe happened and we were, the orchestra played for the first time, I mean, the dancers were just totally in awe and totally mesmerizing. Sure. Uh, mesmerizing. I know we're, we're so looking forward to that moment of, of performing with the orchestra. It was really fun watching in rehearsal when the first day we saw the dancers with the chorus in an evening rehearsal and the chorus was mesmerized watching the dancers do their work mm-hmm. and then we turned around and the dancers watched while we showed what had been staged in the big drinking song and the dancers were astounded mm-hmm. at the sound that was coming from mm-hmm. that chorus and all those principles. So it, so it's definitely a mutual admiration society. Absolutely. We can't yeah. wait till the next collaboration. That's I hope right. there'll be many more. Yeah, me too. It was so great. Well, off the subject of opera a little bit, but is there a story, real, imagined, whatever, that you just feel like is yearning to be choreographed? Something that you're dying to get your hands on? Well, I, not to directly answer that question, but here is something that's interesting, I think. Well, like, for instance, let's take Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. When I came and, and worked with Christine McIntyre and Moby Dick, and what happens is there's so much research that's done. Right. And there's so much, like, movement ideas that I, I think about. And the music of Jake Heggie's score was just so rich with all these um, potential dance things that just never, based on the context of the opera itself and and trying to make it a realistic experience and figuring out like how much dance and movement to really really need or does it feel arbitrary? But I feel like <laughs> like something like Moby Dick the ballet mm. oh, and wow. to ta- and to, to find like Jake Heggie and say like okay, let's write a score 
based on the music that yeah. you wrote for Moby Dick. Which is already so gestural. Exactly. It's, There's yeah. so much in it yeah. that just didn't have the opportunity to emerge as movement. Yeah. And to make kind of an abstract version of something like that. Because there's so much research that's done. Same thing happened with Aida. And it's just like there's so much research that gets done. And so there's so much potential. And then in the context of the opera, it never has the opportunity to reveal itself. And so I don't know if that's like the, the story that needs to be told but, or the dream of mine. But that's something like in context of working with the opera that I've sure. thought about a lot. It's a story that needs to be told yeah, again in an abstract way yeah, yeah. no words that yeah. it becomes a ballet score it becomes yeah. a, a modern dance score that um, can that. be created too so we've got a great set <laughs> yeah exactly Absolutely. well we've said this like, before but jake are you listening jake, right. are you listening That's i mean right. jake jake and uh, gene have been on the show so we we just assume carol and i that they're listening to every episode right, right, so right. of course they are as i will ideas. after oh, this great great no. right we have one more question for you, Daniel, and it's sort of a tradition of the show, and it's because of the the line of work we're in. We're in theaters, most of which are purported to be haunted. I'm curious if you've ever seen a ghost. Give us some details. You know, strangely, I am not a big believer of ghosts and the supernatural. However, uh-huh. I did have an experience once that makes me question that belief. And so it's not in a theater, but... We were doing a residency at uh, State University of New York at Brockport. They converted the gym, and I think it was a pool, actually. They converted this pool space. It was like a swimming pool into a dance studio or into a gym. And then it was purported that somebody had drowned and died in this pool, right? Mm -hmm. And so then there's this word on the street that this basement of this building, the dance building, was actually haunted, course i didn't really believe any of that but one (laughs) night and this is the only thing in my life that's happened that makes me actually question it one night it sounds gonna sound anyway i'm walking downstairs i'm the only one there Mm -hmm. and there's this propped open door and it's the type of door that like will automatically close if you let go of the door now like there's tension to it but it was propped open i'm walking halfway through this room and this door shuts and it just kind of slams right in front of my face and so that's my ghost experience. So I've never seen a ghost, but if I were to say that, that, that would be my encounter. It sounds like you didn't see this one because it wanted privacy. I think so. <laughs> so Slam I don't the door know. in your face. What Slam do people usually say to that? Do they usually people have a ghost? You know, it answer? varies. We've yeah. gotten some pretty amazing stories. We've had everything from absolute true believers to people mm-hmm. that just say, don't believe in ghosts, next question. Mm-hmm. So it's really run the gamut. That is the thing that makes me question my statement of I don't believe in ghosts. You know, I've said it my whole life too, but I also admit that I'm open to yeah. just about anything. Yeah, you never know. We're so glad you took the time out of your busy day to come and join us for this chat. And we look forward to many more Utah Opera collaborations. That would be and wonderful. Ho- and hopefully bringing that um, Moby Dick abstract ballet to life <laughs> at some point. Thanks, Daniel, very cool. much for being on the Ghost Light Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. The Ghost Light Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. Be sure to visit utahsymphony.org and utahopera.org for more information on upcoming performances. If you're not already a seasoned subscriber, click on the tickets button to learn more about the benefits of being a part of our family of music lovers. The Utah Symphony and Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.